Welcome to another episode of Box Press. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Rob. Today, we're going to be doing something really special. We're going to be sitting down with Charlie Minato from Half Wheel. If you don't know anything about Half Wheel, Half Wheel is probably one of the leading cigar blogs um, and content in the cigar industry online. They reviewed all sorts of different types of cigars. And in fact, these reviews get very in-depth. So in-depth to the point where sometimes I don't even know the notes that they're tasting from these cigars. You got things like Thousand Island Dressing and Crushed Orange and all these other different flavors. And I'm not an expert in tasting cigars, but I enjoy the opportunity to sit down with somebody like Charlie and try to expand my palate and figure out how do I taste these cigars? So we've gone ahead and put together a little video where we sit down with Charlie, smoke a cigar, and have this experience and this walkthrough step-by-step so that Charlie can help us refine our palates. So if you want to follow along with us, this episode is going to get a little bit longer. You don't have to have the cigar that we purchased because in fact, it's probably very hard to get your hands on unless you shop at Stogie's World Class Cigars and get their H-Town Lanceros. But you can grab a cigar that you like, um, go ahead and try to light it up with us from start to finish and see if you notice any new flavors coming out of that cigar. Enjoy the journey with us, and hopefully you'll learn a couple of things about how to expand your palate and taste these nuances of how it's really not the flavor that's coming out of the cigar, but it's what is triggering inside your head that reminds you of that flavor or that experience when you had that flavor. You're listening to Box Press, where we are passionate about cigars and how to care for them. Welcome to another episode of Box Press. We got Charlie Minato here inside Houston's Stogie's World Class Cigars, and we are going to do a cigar tasting. Charlie's very good at these cigar tastings. He's going to teach us a little bit about how to get better at them, how to taste the nuances, and what we're really looking for and how to set this whole thing up. So thanks, Charlie, for being here. No, thanks for having me. Great. What are we going to be smoking today, or how should we set this up? Yeah, so we're in Stogie's World Class Cigars in Houston, Texas. They are one of the few shops in the world that are capable of selling Lanceros. They have a series called the H-Town Lancero series. There's 10 so far different Lanceros that have been part of it. This is one of them. It's a Taiwahe H-Town Lancero. So it's an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper over Nicaraguan binders and Nicaraguan fillers. It was highly rated on half wheel. Uh, I had some issues with uh, some of the construction, but when the cigar was on, it was extremely good. And so we're going to give another shot and, and hopefully you have the one that's got the construction issues, not me. So how are we going to start this out, Charlie? Yeah. So I think that one thing to note is that we're, uh, when we're tasting cigars, we're really trying to taste nuances and we're trying to have similar flavor experiences to other things. That's how, when you have people say, I taste chocolate or I taste uh, bourbon, you know, they're not actually tasting bourbon unless they're, you know, taking a swig right. of bourbon and, and smoking their cigar. Um, and so we're going to do it a little bit different than how you probably would smoke a cigar and certainly how I normally would smoke a cigar if I wasn't doing something for a rating. Um, and so the first thing is we're going to take the cigar and we're going to, uh, as we do at Half Wheel, we're going to smell the wrapper and we're going to smell the foot of the cigar. And I don't think that that's essential um, so much as to the overall cigar experience. But what it does do is it starts to get your mind in that um, mindset of looking for very mild uh, and very unique flavors. Whereas if you just light cut and, and then, you know, right. taste it. 
So I'd recommend starting with the wrapper because it's certainly going to be a bit milder than the foot um, just because the, the cellophane's been off now. And then the foot will be a little bit more concentrated flavor and then we'll go to the next step. Perfect. What do you notice? Yeah, so uh, quite a bit of barnyard. Um, and so barnyard's not a particularly uh, attractive flavor to most people. Uh, it also could mean something along the lines of cow poop. Uh, and sometimes <laughs> we get barnyard flavors that are a bit more manure-esque than others. This one, I would say, is a little bit on the sweeter side, so it's maybe not the full-on cow poop sensation. Sure. Um, but it, it certainly has got some of that, that barnyard funk to it. Do you get leather at all? Yeah, so a little bit of leather. Um, and then there's some just generic acidity behind that and a little bit of generic sweetness as well. But the barnyard is the dominant flavor. If you have a plugged nose, it'd be good to do a neti pot on this. Uh, maybe. maybe. Yeah. So make sure you have good smelling tactics. So now we're going to move on to the foot. Just stick that right, right up your nose. (laughs) It's small enough. It'll fit. Yeah. I mean. Is that why you like Lanceros? So just yep. you really get in no, there. No, you really get in there and you know get get the foot wet. I don't know. What do you Yeah, mean? so I think this is actually a little bit different. Whereas the wrapper, it was sort of layered. There was a dominant flavor, a secondary flavor, and then there was a whole bunch of other flavors behind that. This is quite mixed. So I get some cranberry sweetness, I get a little bit of milk chocolate, and I get a little bit of that barnyard um, from the wrapper nothing just no i mean like it's it's like after you say something it's like okay i gotta go back and see if i can pick that up and then okay now so how do you get to the point where you can actually pick these things up because otherwise i'm just smelling the foot going okay this smells like a cigar yeah no i mean it's uh the best and worst way to to taste a cigar is to do it with someone else um it's great in the sense that you can have somebody else and you can have other inputs try to guide you along but you're right. Uh, what will happen in what you're doing now is now you're just trying to see if you can taste cranberries and milk chocolate. You're not even right. trying to identify if there's any other flavors. You're just right. solely going after this. And the chances are, if you take about five or six, you know, of those smells, you'll eventually be like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And it's not that you're lying to yourself or anything, but it's just the nature of what we're doing. I once had a conversation with someone who works uh, in the liquor industry at a company that we will not name, but a pretty prominent one. And he serves as a brand ambassador for them. And he was going through how they do training. And one of the things he said is that if uh, they tell them if a customer ever walks up and says, oh, I have the sweetness, but I can't really place it or whatever to say banana. And the reason why they say banana is because banana really doesn't, particularly the bananas that we eat, uh, don't have a ton of flavor. The reality is, is that banana is almost entirely texture based. And so when you say banana and if they're tasting any sort of sweetness, they generally can trick themselves into tasting banana because very few people can actually identify a banana flavor without having the texture of the banana or that sort of artificial banana flavor. Right. And so you can trick your mind into doing it because it's such a subtle sweetness. Um, and so things like that play a big part in it. And so it's one of the things at Half Wheel, uh, you will not see us smoking cigars. Like we don't sit around and all smoke the same cigar because uh, it would be disastrous for the, the sort of actual overall process. Okay. All right. So now that we've done that, um, this is the part where we cut the cigar. And we're just going to cut this and we're going to do what we call a, a cold draw at half wheel. And so we are going to cut it. And then before we light it, we're going to take a couple of dry puffs on the cigar. And it's a similar experience um, to what we were just doing. And the other thing that's important about this part of the process is that it's important to get a good cut. 
and it's important to get uh, eventually a good light because while construction is a separate thing and something that we evaluate separately at Half Wheel in terms of how we score cigars, if you don't cut your cigar properly, it will affect the flavor. And if you don't light your cigar properly, it will affect the flavor. And so getting that right is sort of the first step on being able to taste the cigar at its full ability. Okay. So how do we want to cut it then? Uh, how much are we taking off? I take off very minimal. Um, so on a Lancero, it's going to be mixed. Uh, I think you and I are in about the same place. We both left the second two caps on the triple cap. So if you can see that, you want to you want to leave those caps so that this cigar doesn't start to unravel. So you're really just nicking it just enough to get an open end to draw on. Yeah, good way to describe it. So now we're going to take a couple cold puffs. And so this cold will just puffs. be like if you were smoking the cigar, but it's not lit. Got it. And so one thing that you'll notice if you do this often is that the more cold draws that you take, the flavor actually does have a habit of changing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple reasons why uh, the air that's actually being taken through the cigar, and even though it's just dry air, is affecting how things are. There's channels that are opening up that weren't previously open, as well as the fact that your lips are inevitably putting some moisture on the outside of the cigar. And because it's not burning, there's just not as much things producing flavor. So those subtle changes that you otherwise wouldn't notice if the cigar was lit are actually having a pretty big impact at the moment because there's just not a lot going on. Interesting. I am tasting that barnyard. Yeah. So I think musty the kind of. Yeah, the barnyard's definitely there. Um, and it's surrounded by a little bit of what I would say like some just bitter sweetness. Um, it's not as sharp and or as sweet as it was earlier, but it's certainly some hints of it. And then I think this is the first time, at least for me, that I'm getting any sort of detectable pepper. Um, there's a little bit of a sort of like store-bought ground black pepper, not particularly great. Um, certainly not something we'd want to put on our steaks. True. I'm not getting the leather, though, that I no. smelt. So that's interesting because yeah. it's not there. But it's there on the smell. Yeah, and that happens a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's of all those flavors that we just listed, it could very well be the case that when we light these cigars up that we taste none of those flavors. Um, and it's one thing that I oftentimes sort of complain about is that we smoke a lot of cigars where the cold draws are fantastic. And then you light it up and you're like, oh, what what just happened? Why is this not sure. not like that cold draw? And so I find that the cold draws oftentimes have a lot more sweetness. Um, if I was to make a broad statement, certainly not every time. Sure. But there's a lot of cigars that I'll smoke that have a lot of floral flavors, a lot of sweeter flavors, and then you light them up and it, it, it none of that's there. Um, now, sometimes it, it is there, but oftentimes it, it dissipates. And gotcha. so I'd say the other thing, I'd say the chocolate's still somewhat there. Um, and there's somewhat of like a, a weird fruitiness, almost like a plum-like. Uh, it's somewhat sour, somewhat bitter, but still still has that fruity base to it. Now we're going to light the cigars up uh, with Lanceros. Um, I think we've both chosen correctly with the single flame lighter. Um, obviously, Should we use a soft flame lighter? Uh, I don't think a soft flame is necessary. It's certainly something that you can use. Um, but we, when smoking cigars, at least I can speak... I feel like pretty generally for the Apple staff, I certainly don't use a soft flame when lighting cigars for review. I, I enjoy the process of a soft flame lighter, but there are some complications with it. Um, okay. If you're smoking outside, it's obviously a problem, but it's also just, you have to pay attention to it and the ability to light, mislight parts of the wrapper because the, the flame moves around um, is a bit problematic. 
Okay. At least for doing a critical tasting. So, so how are we going to light this? Slowly. Slowly. Light slowly. So we're just going to take the flame, and I'm on a Lancero. Uh, you don't need to move the lighter much. And so I'm going to just light around the cigar, which you probably cannot see on any of these cameras. And then I'm going to start slowly moving the cigar around. And so there's circular motions, and the key is just not letting that flame sit anywhere for too long. So we're moving the flame. Yeah. And how far away are we? About an inch or two? Depends, Depends on, on the lighter. The yeah, so I'm uh, a little less than an inch away from the visible parts of this flame, although this particular lighter has got probably a, a larger visible amount of flame than your typical torch. We're never putting the visible flame into... Yeah, you don't want to do that. Okay, so we always want to be farther away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the slower you can light the cigar, the better. And so the other thing that I'm making sure that's happening here is that the cigar is evenly lit and that there's nothing that looks like it's not lit. And the reason behind that is, like I said earlier, the flavor of the cigar is going to be impacted by how the cigar is burning and, and how it's lit. And so if you get off to a bad start, uh, it's going to continue to cause problems over the course of the cigar. So I'm going to go ahead and take my first puff because otherwise I could be waiting for a little while here. You're saying I'm not there yet? Mm-mm. Let me know when I am there. I think you're probably good. All right. So you and I didn't approach this the same way. Um, and so it's unlikely that we're going to get the same flavors initially. Okay. Although we should have some overlap. So what are you getting off this? Um... When I retrohaled, it was it had some strength to it. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning, I I don't even know if I can really tell you my first draw. Yeah, so that's tough. Um, and so you took three sort of shorter puffs off the cigar, um, whereas I took one sort of big, longer puff. And so I find that that's a lot. Uh, certainly the way that you go about it is easier, and it's sort of what humans like to do. Um, however... It's not great for critically tasting the cigar because the second and third puffs, the cigar is going to be hotter than ah. probably where it should be. And so I try to just take one long, deep puff at the beginning. Some goes out through the nose on the retro hill, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. Um, so I got, uh, there was a fair bit of that black pepper that I had, that, that sort of store-bought sure. pre-ground black pepper. There was a ton of earthiness. And then I got some Thousand Island type, almost like the In-N-Out secret sauce. Um, sure. you know, a uh, sweetness, a little bit, uh, of like a tomato base, but then, you know, a fair bit of creaminess as well. And, and obviously the sourness, um, and then it just sort of dissipated into that earthy black pepper mixture, uh, on the finish. And you, I'm not yeah. there at all. Yeah, no. no and no so way. it, one thing that's also helpful if you're going to do this is to have a piece of paper out or, you know, to have your computer open, um, and to just type those flavors as they come to you, because it's also, it's a bit challenging to sit there and try to remember what you just tasted, remember what's going on now, and then remembering to put both of those things down somewhere. Um, and certainly over the course of a cigar like this, where it should take you about two hours to smoke, you're going to have a lot of different flavor sensations, and no one is going to be able to remember all of them uh, right. by the end of it. So longer puff in the beginning will help you be able to taste those nuances with a cooler draw. Yeah, so I think longer puffs in the beginning. So I haven't taken my second puff yet. Right. Yeah. I have. Yeah. 
This is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> so, Charlie, you noted that taking that longer draw in the beginning is better for tasting that cigar fully and those nuances. The way I did it in the beginning, you said it was more natural to take a couple of quick puffs yeah. and then take a longer one. Am I smoking it wrong if I do that? Or should I always be trying to follow the, take a long draw and then that's it? Or is this only because we're doing a review? Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to critically taste a cigar, I think that your best approach is to keep the cigar as cool as possible uh, while also making sure that it doesn't go out. And so that would likely mean longer draws and much more spread out. Uh, I notoriously smoke extremely slow. I can smoke a booster over the course of two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes in some cases. Uh, the rest wow. of our site is also going to smoke cigars for reviews a lot slower than you'll see most people in a cigar shop. Sure. Now, the flip side of that is we aren't really replicating the same experience that most consumers are having. And so it is a bit tough because we're trying to get the maximum amount of you know flavor and, and quality out of the cigars whereas most consumers are doing it in a different manner so they maybe aren't going to be able to replicate the same experiences that we are having they they certainly right. are physically capable of it sure but they're not going to do it right and so it's not like you know an epa estimated miles per gallon it's not a real world <laughs> sort of apples to apples comparison because even though we're smoking the exact same cigar if you smoke the cigar in an hour and i smoke it in two hours the, the temperature of the cigar is going to be way different. Right. And, and as such, the flavors are going to be quite a bit different. So we're kind of worried about the temperature of the cigar. And I've noticed that myself, like when I get excited about a cigar and then I start to want more of it, then all of a sudden I can get like this bitter or it's just like off putting. So you're saying that in general, it's good to actually slow down in the smoking experience because more of those flavors are going to be a lot better and a lot more pronounced. Yeah. And so absolutely the, the hotter the cigar gets, the, it's going to go through this period where it gets sharper. So maybe not necessarily more peppery or harsher, but the flavors are going to become um, a bit sharper is the best way I can describe it, but they're a bit more clawing. And then it will get to that point where you're going to have the, the sort of pepper blast um, because the cigar is too hot. And then it will just get harsh. Um, and there might be other flavors going on there, but you're sort of artificially causing that cigar to happen. There are cigars that you can smoke as slow as possible and they will be harsh. Right. But Certainly, you can take any cigar and make it really peppery if you give me about 10 minutes. So if you're out there and you're trying cigars and you're like, ah, it's really not that good, maybe you should check your time and slow down on the cigar and it might turn out to be a little bit better of an experience for you. What are we going to do next now? We're just going to keep smoking, I think. Um, I I like to smell yeah. the smoke that's coming off the foot. That's like one of my more favorite things mm -hmm. to do. Do you also put that in your reviews? Are you looking for that at all? No, we don't. Um, and uh, there are a couple reasons why. Your first is that I don't think many people do that. Um, not to say that you're weird, but you don't go <laughs> into you don't go into a cigar shop and people are like, "Oh, what's this smell like?" Um, the second thing is is that when we have a really identifiable or unique uh, aroma, we'll mention it. Um, there have been some particularly memorable ones over the course of Half Wheels history. But in general, we're really focused on the flavor of the cigar. I think the other tough part, and certainly when uh, when we're in here, this would not be my ideal place to be doing a tasting, but particularly for you trying to get an aroma off the cigar, uh, you're good luck. I mean, you're in a cigar shop. Uh, right. You're around other people smoking cigars. 
there's lingering aromas, there's present active aromas, and then there's whatever you're trying to get off. And so it, it's going to be tough. How can someone be able to pick up those nuances better? Like if I wanted to pick up the same nuances that you were able to find, not necessarily the same, but if I want to be able to hone my skills in picking up nuances in cigars, do I need to be trying different foods, different things? What do I need to do on the, you know? Yeah, so that certainly helps. I think that you've got a lot of different things at play. As I mentioned early on, when we say we're tasting chocolate or, or when we're take, you know, tasting Thousand Island dressing, I don't know when the last time I had Thousand Island dressing was. It's been a while. Um, sure. So it's certainly not that I'm actually physically getting Thousand Island dressing in my mouth. What's happening is that I'm tasting some sort of nuances and it's reminding me of Thousand Island dressing. And so it's a chemical reaction that takes place in your brain. Your brain has a library of flavors that it remembers and it's all based off experience. It's not really based off of necessarily what ketchup is. It's based off of an experience and a memory of ketchup. Because okay. ultimately it's it's like, you know, a computer system. It's just a series of, of numbers essentially. It's not like your brain really has a grasp of this is specifically ketchup. It remembers that it's this amount of fruitiness, this amount of sweetness, this amount of acidity and bitterness. And it's oftentimes associated with a memory. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to sort of trick myself into not thinking I'm smoking a cigar and not worrying about the tobacco part of the flavor and not worrying about the smoke part of the flavor and just trying to find those nuances that remind me of something else. And so that's why when you see the, you know, if you watch the movie Psalm and you see these uh, sommeliers go through their tastings and they're getting far more complex notes um, than we do, you know, they're they're going through and they're remembering things and that's why they can get a wine that tastes like like tobacco, for example. It's an oftentimes a pretty common uh, flavor note and there's nothing to say that there's any tobacco in that wine. Right. Um, and that's why you can have people say that a steak is nutty or, you know, cheese is chocolatey, those sorts of things. Um, it's not that there's actual chocolate in the cheese. It's just that it reminds you of a specific type of chocolate. Gotcha. Tricking ourselves into thinking we're not smoking cigars when all I can think about is I'm smoking a cigar. That's difficult. Yeah, it is. And so uh, another big piece of advice I would say in terms of if you wanted to see if you could get better at this, you know, if you're at home and, and, and you're interested in doing this, uh, two sort of simple pieces of advice I would give that could help this a lot more is take a cigar, uh, smoke it outside, because uh, I think that that's a much better environment. It's certainly where I smoke cigars. Uh, it's where the majority of the half reviews take place. Um, and do it alone. And so go out there, you know, bring a notebook and just sit there and smoke the cigar and not have any other distractions. Because I think that that's helpful because you do need to get in that mindset of, you know, you're really focused. And that's why, you know, if I'm at a cigar shop just hanging out, you know, I've got a glass of whiskey or a glass of rum and I'm talking to people and people are like, oh, what, what are you tasting that cigar? Like they're, they're wanting to put me spot on and it's right. like, look, I'm not really paying attention to the cigar. I can tell you if it's good or if it's bad, if it's mild, medium, strong, right. but I'm not sitting there worrying about, you know, is it cranberries or cranberry juice that I'm tasting? Gotcha. Um, for me to be able to really do that, I have to go into a specific mindset and really focus on those sorts of things. And so that means, you know, I'm not paying attention to my phone and I'm not necessarily, you know, 
even I, you know, not into like reading a, a book or something and getting lost right. in that because I'm trying to, to keep my mind pretty open to, you know, what's going on in my palate, what's going on in my nose and, and what is that reminding me of? I think having a camera in your face really does put you on that level playing field mm-hmm. of not really thinking too hardly. No, uh, totally distracting by the way, but I think that's good sage advice to detract from all the distractions and just go straight into what am I tasting? One thing that um, I learned from early on that I've really taken to heart, and it was actually from a a video that Cigar Aficionado did where they were sort of breaking down their tastings, and we certainly have different approaches than what they do. But one thing that really stuck with me is, um, I believe it was Gord Mott was explaining how he likes to taste cigars in the same place and at the same time of the day to keep oh. that consistent. And so for me, um, 98% of the reviews that take place on half wheel are done basically, you know, after 9 PM at night on my porch. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons behind that, but that's almost all of the cigars that I smoke for review are done that way. Um, and I find that that helps because it, it does remove the ability of, you know, any sort of other influences, but it also, you know, puts me in that mindset, that mental aspect of, all right, you know, I'm going out on my porch to smoke a cigar, um, at nine o'clock at night. And, you know, I'm going to focus on, you know, doing, I guess my job, uh, in somewhat consequently, although not really intentionally, I don't ever smoke cigars at 9 PM on my porch casually. All right. Um, Jeannie, what's for coming in my cigar? Yeah, so your cigar has not been burning evenly from the get-go. It's not too bad, but uh, it really hasn't evened itself out. You have a little bit of wrapper there that's really standing out, but you can look and just see the burn line is is totally not even. I think you're probably going to be okay when you ash it, although I suspect that you're going to have not an even ash. It'll probably probably be somewhat angular uh, where one side of the ash sticks on and then the other side breaks off cleanly. When should I ash? Whenever you feel like it. I do think that one misconception, um, and Instagram has not helped this, is you are unlikely to do yourself any flavors by building uh, inches and inches of ash. That is not going to help how the cigar tastes. Got it, it looks cool. If you're doing it for the likes, you know, certainly go about that. Give me some likes. Look how yeah. long that ash yeah. is. But no, but in terms of actually producing the best flavor, uh, it, it's not great. It constricts airflow. Uh, you know, your your all the air that's coming in is being sucked through that ash, which means that you're taking some of that flavor that's in the ash and you're imparting it back in the cigar. There's just a lot of things that are going on. And if you're, you know, trying to do a longest ash competition, uh, you know, for yourself, uh, it also means you probably aren't focused necessarily on smoking the cigar to get flavor. You're you're trying to make sure that it doesn't fall. Yeah, leaning tower yeah. pizza here. Charlie, let's talk a little bit about like how to get ready. If we're going to go and spend the time and break away and not be distracted and bring a notebook and write down everything that we're going to taste in this cigar, what are we doing either the days or the uh, the weeks before to get ready for that? The are weeks we- before? Oh, wow. <laughs> what are we doing before that though? Like maybe the day well, before. Well, obviously we're going to start a cigar blog. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to send some manufacturers some... Some emails asking for free cigars. Okay. Um, no, I you know I, I think that uh, days might be a bit of a stretch. I will say that uh, I do not smoke cigars every day of the week. Okay. I try to make sure that once a week I don't smoke cigars. 
Um, and I find that uh, that certainly helps. And unfortunately, the nature of our review schedule means that I have to smoke a bit more than I'd like to, to be quite honest, because there is the case that if you take a couple days off and go back and light up a cigar, even if it's a cigar that you've had a hundred times before, it probably is going to taste a little bit more complex just because sure. your palate and your nose are, are a bit better. Um, in terms of the immediate time before, I'd say that, you know, if you're really trying to go after critical flavors, anything that you put in your mouth beforehand is, is going to have an impact on what happens. Um, and so you want to make sure that, you know, if you're trying to taste the cigar to get the actual flavors in the cigar, you probably don't want to go have a gigantic steak dinner and a glass of red wine and then go out and smoke a cigar Right. if you're trying to do it critically. Now, that's a favorite pastime of mine to do just for an enjoyment perspective. Yeah. Totally um, fine on enjoying the cigar. Yeah. And you're totally okay with people, hey, do whatever you want. Drink oh, with I mean, whatever you want. If I'm it. not reviewing a cigar, like, you know, there's you're a, partaking in yeah, all I that. mean, there's a glass of whiskey or a glass of rum, um, you know, maybe sometimes some tea. Uh, right. you know, I have no issue uh with, you know, occasionally having, you know, some dark chocolate with a cigar. Uh, I don't really like any sort of warm foods I found that just doesn't really do it for me um but yeah but in terms of critically trying to taste flavors in it i mean if you go have a big steak dinner and a glass of red wine your cigar is going to have some of those flavors impacted it may not be the case that you smoke a cigar and taste steak and red wine but those lingering flavors that are still in your tongue and still on your palate are going to impact what you can and cannot taste so sometimes it might mean that it limits down flavors that you should be tasting or could be tasting otherwise and sometimes it means that you'll be able to taste things that you can't because there's you know burnt butter somewhere in your mouth. Right. And so the other thing um, that I think a lot of people would find interesting in half well, we've talked about it before, is that uh, I'll bring a glass of or a glass or a bottle of water outside, um, but I rarely will ever actually drink any of it when I'm smoking a cigar. And it's I'm drinking because, half of my bottle. Yeah, you you're really pounding that. Um, <laughs> and so it's because that water, you know, still water, sparkling water, you know, mineral water, whatever, all has flavor. And it does things to your palate that can influence, you know, how you are able to taste just like that steak dinner. It's probably not as, as impactful as the steak dinner. Right. Um, but certainly if you take a puff and then you, you know, wait a couple minutes and then take a swig of water and then immediately take a puff, you're going to taste something a bit different. Gotcha. So you try to keep your palate neutral then. And the yeah. day before you're, you're practicing on not trying to overcome it. Would you recommend people to be smoking earlier in the day before they've done it's whatever everything? they want to do? I look, I smoke after dinner, um, but I'm giving myself, you know, if I'm smoking at nine o'clock. I've usually had a couple hours in between. Um, and so, uh, it's not the case that it's like, wake up, you know, I remember when I was watching the movie, Psalm, I was one of the things I was most curious about because, um, so Psalm follows, people that are going to become master sommeliers, which is considered to be one of the hardest tests you can ever take in the world. Um, there's like the London black cab tests and like the master sommelier test, probably not too far behind that in terms of everything you have to know and your abilities and those sorts of things. And I was curious because they do the sommelier test relatively early in the morning and they have a practical test where they have to taste. And I was curious to know, like, if you wake up, do you brush your teeth or not? Like, right. like what do you do to prepare your palate? And they all they all seemingly brush their teeth, but they, they did things a little bit differently, but it was always curious because like if you were telling me to do a critical cigar tasting where you were going to score how well I could pick up flavors, like I may not want to be putting some minty fresh crest in my mouth and then going and smoking a cigar 30 minutes later. Right. So since mine went out, 
Betty Patok, I have now entered your realm. All right. Now that my cigar went out, what do I want to do? Yeah, so you've you've sort of got step one down, which is you don't want to have any lingering ash. So um, get the ash off. So I kind of just rolled the edge, yeah. got most of it and tapped yep. to get that. And so clean. now you're going to light the cigar normally as if you would. And uh, we're going to do what we call purging the cigar. And so this is a technique that somebody inevitably developed many years ago. And, uh, well, Is that good? Yeah, so you're going to keep... I would light a little more of the middle, probably. Um, and so you're going to light it up as if you would normally do. And so everything will be normal up until this one step. So you're going to take the lighter again. You're going to have the flame out. And you're going to take, I would say, like a half puff in with the lighter against the, the bottom of the cigar. You're going to take that half puff in, and then you're going to blow out through the cigar. Okay. And so normally we'd hope that we get a little bit more fire, actually, like you're, you're going to pretend that you're on Game of Thrones and we're going to get some dragon fire coming out of the cigar. And so I find that, there we go, um, that this method makes the cigar taste a little bit better. It gets rid of some of those harsher burnt flavors that otherwise might be there as if you were to just take it and normally light it and try to treat it. Um, you know, unfortunately, the cigar has been impacted regardless of what you do, right. pretty substantially by the whole relighting process. Um, and so while that might not be bad for, you know, a night out, you know, just smoking cigars casually, if you were trying to taste a cigar critically, not a great maneuver. <laughs> Yours is super lit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, the struggle is real. And so... For this, I don't. I won't actually do that same purging method because I still manage to have some semblance of the cigar being lit, and so I'm just going to try to help it as little as I can to get back to that point. So I'll say, at least on my end, uh, the cigar uh, was certainly pretty sharp throughout the first uh, inch and a half or so. Um, there was certainly some black pepper. There was quite a bit of earthiness. There was a bit of sweetness. I would say more of a graham cracker type. Uh, sweetness, but uh, seemingly when the cigar almost went out right there, there was a pretty substantial difference. And so now it's actually a lot milder. There's not as much sharp, not milder, but there's not the sharpness and the pepper that was there a second ago. And so that's an example of like, I might prefer this flavor. I might prefer not having the harshness and the sharpness, but like that clearly was impacted by the fact that the cigar needed to have the wrapper lit you know, it was, I was just getting that filler burning and relighting that wrapper helped to balance things out. But that might not be what would have taken place had we gotten cigars that were burning all the way through consistently. Gotcha. So when we're letting the smoke obviously come into our mouth, what are we doing with it when it's in the mouth and how are we releasing it? Because I particularly like to like blow it out maybe the side of my mouth and then lick the side of my cheek is am i trying to do something so that i can you lick the side of your cheek yeah like with your my tongue's tongue. that long well the inside yeah I was the inside say, of my cheek it's a lot of beard I, <laughs> yeah i get through the beard i get down to the yep. dense layer and i actually get in there really well but i i like to run my tongue over my palate on the inside 
and see what flavors I'm picking up. Are you doing the same thing or how are we kind of trying to pick these flavors up inside I would say my tongue is not as active as yours is <laughs> based off that description. Um, I don't know if you have a tongue cam that we can put in there and um, we'll work on that. Yeah, I know a guy and a website. So um, I would say in terms of of the smoke going in the mouth, it's sort of that similar thing. So I'm trying to take longer, deeper puffs. One thing I see a lot of cigar smokers do, particularly when they're first starting off, is they like to take puffs and then just immediately shoot the smoke out. That's right. not helpful in terms of trying to taste flavors. Um, and so uh, it's you know taking the, the smoke in, letting it move around all parts of the mouth, and then obviously the retrohaling you know plays a big factor into tasting a cigar. And so I'm one that likes to let you know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take a retrohale, I'm gonna let about half the smoke out. You know, through my my mouth a couple seconds after it's gone in and then do the retrohale pretty quickly thereafter is the tongue picking up a lot of the flavor or are we just getting an overall mouth feel like what is our palate actually doing and recepting yeah so this is the largest misconception we have with how to taste cigars um according to the national institute of health uh your tongue if you and hanky kellner the um, the master blender, the whatever his official title is, but Davidoff's certainly ambassador and, and longtime um, cigar production chief. I don't know what his title is at this point, but Hanky, sure. who uh, was associated with Davidoff, grows tobacco before them and, and does seminars, has a seminar where he'll tell you that you know certain parts of your tongue pick up certain flavors. Um, I have read a lot of evidence that would suggest it's not the case. Um, and so your tongue according to most people can only pick up five or six flavors sweet sour salty savory there's a debate about umami um which uh is this sort of developed out of japan um it's a, a sort of savory flavor um i don't know how best to describe it but uh your tongue is certainly limited everyone's on board with that yep. um and so uh, the easiest way to explain to people that your nose is really what is the key for tasting things is if you go out and you're, you're at home and you're you're having a bite of whatever. Um, if you take a bite and just chew it, swallow it normally, and then you take another bite, and when you go to, to swallow it right before, if you just grab your nose and you swallow it, you will find that that food, no matter how flavorful it might have been, is going to taste very dull. And the reason is, is that there's a tract in the back of your mouth that leads up to your nose. And humans have developed over time um, this innate ability to open this tract up in the swallowing motion. And so it allows these flavors to go, the aromas of these flavors to go into your, your nasal cavity and it goes into your nose and your nose can taste thousands and thousands of things. Um, and so... That's why that tract exists and, and, you know, most humans have had some awkward experiences of either, you know, swallowing, you know, water and it coming out through your nose or, you know, I think there's a story that involves me and a very young Charlie and, and some corn maybe coming out of my nose when I was like three years old. Sure. Um, and so that tract exists and that's what we do for retrohaling. Um, and so when you're talking about tasting cigars, if you're not retrohaling... Uh, you're going to be at a disadvantage. 
Um, and so when we talk about retrohaling, that's not inhaling like you would with a cigarette or, or anything else, but that's taking that smoke, pushing it up that tract, and then having it go out through your nose. Um, and so there's some great videos. The best one, the one that I learned from is a David Diaz, Doc Stogie Fresh did a video back when Stogie Fresh was uh, still around where he explains this in, in really simplistic terms and gives some tips about how to do it. I would highly recommend if you aren't retrohaling to start doing it. And if you want to, to, to start retrohaling, to take a pretty mild cigar um, gotcha. and, and to, to retrohale. So let's learn how to retrohale. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any great advice. Uh, I would say that it's almost, you know, you certainly don't want to take a full puff. You, you want to let some smoke out. You of your want mouth. to let half of it out. Or yeah. You, you, I mean, when you're learning, you really don't want to be trying to do it with that much smoke. And so right. the easiest way that I can describe it is to let some of that smoke out and then to basically swallow. And, and while you're swallowing to just force out through your nose. That's the wow. best way you retrohale. So what would you tell people? Yeah, no, I had to, I had to look at an anatomy book actually and think about, okay, where am I trying to get that smoke to go? And then pushing it out through the nose. So I don't know if I do a swallowing motion. I'll have to try it out here and see if I can actually put it to words. Well, so but the it, swallowing motion, the reason why, like I don't do a full swallow, but I go as if, as if I'm going to swallow because that's how I can get that passageway to open. Right. Because otherwise it's closed. It's not open like right. when we're talking right now. That passageway is, is absolutely 100% closed. Yeah. Okay. I get the swallow because you do have to get it back there, but I'm definitely not bringing it into my no, lungs. No, no, it's no, not no. like a, like a thing. Yeah, it's no, no, a, no. Your lungs s- aren't doing anything. Right. Your lungs aren't doing anything. So the swallowing is actually a good idea or a good tip to kind of trigger that to go back and then blowing out of your nose. And the best part about the swallowing motion is if you screw it up, then you can blame box pressed for <laughs> causing you to cough a lung up. Be careful out there. Go uh, in the comment section. All right, Charlie, we're into the, what, second third of this cigar now? Yeah, we're we're getting right past halfway. Nice. Any changes that have come up? Yeah, I think um, it's certainly gotten sweeter, as I sort of mentioned uh, the last time we talked about the tasting notes. Um, there's a sort of black pepper building right in the center of the tongue for me. Um, and then, you know, a lot of earthiness, some creaminess as well. It's certainly stronger than I remember this cigar being um, in terms of the the strength, the nicotine strength, not necessarily in terms of the flavor. Um, it's still medium full to full in flavor, say medium full in body, and then the strength is is really knocking on full, which is not what I recall this cigar being. And certainly, um, I don't know when these particularly were rolled, but uh, it's been a few years since the cigar's out, so they they could be you know two or three years old at this point. Do you think it's because you haven't eaten anything today? And no. No? So Mm -hmm. does eating have a play in that strength of nicotine or does it not? It does. I mean, I think that if if you're not paying attention to it, it's certainly going to have an effect on it. I think the one thing that's different is that given the fact that I review cigars for a living, I I certainly am aware of, you know, being able to sort of isolate uh, whatever might feel like it's a cause of not eating or potentially being hungover versus the actual impact of the cigar. Gotcha. So what are you tasting? Nothing on that draw. Yeah. Um, but I will, I mean, obviously, 
I do not have a refined palate like you do, nor do I fully understand the whole tasting part of it. But I will say I will agree with the change. There has been a change that I've been able to tell that happened, whether that's been sweeter. Yes. Um, as you say those things, obviously it's easy to agree with them, but definitely a change that I actually prefer it now more than I did when it was in, in the beginning. Cause I do think it was more peppery, more, uh, strong in that regard and a little bit sharper. And now it's gotten a little bit smoother, a little bit more balanced. And I want to know, is that based on of our, our palate that we've gotten used to it or has the cigar actually changed? No, I mean, it, it's certainly, um, both of those things. Uh, if you were to take this cigar and you had some sort of time machine and you could smoke, you take your first puff now, it would taste different than obviously having the smoke entering it. And you have to remember that this isn't um, as much like if you were going to a restaurant and having, you know, a nine course meal meal where, um, you know, the chef might try to change what's going on in our mouth depending on you know giving certain courses to do certain things to set up the next courses um and one of those things is that you know unless you're smoking cigars start to finish every day um so you're waking up and you're lighting up a cigar and you're going to smoke a cigar until you go to bed uh, a lot of the tools that we're using to taste a cigar are things that we're not necessarily using with this intensity on a regular basis. And so it's a bit different than tasting wine or, or, or things like that. Um, but also, I mean, cigar blenders, uh, they do things to try to make the cigar um, taste different, particularly in the beginning and in the end. Um, you know, it's a handmade product, so they can't necessarily control it. But if you ever go to a cigar factory and you see people bunching a cigar, so putting the filler into the cigar, one thing you'll notice is when they take the leaves, they tear them. And they'll take the, the bottom of those leaves and they'll spread them out throughout the cigar. Um, and so some manufacturers will like to put a lot of those tips towards the beginning of the cigar um, to get a nice big punch at the, the start. I would say this is a very sort of old school style um, of Pepin cigar where that was really prominent. Pepin back in the, the day in, in the mid 2000s and the late 2000s was really known for having his cigar start off like ours did where they were really peppery, really strong, and then sort of mellowing out and building back up. Other manufacturers like to spread that out evenly. Some manufacturers like to put them towards the end or a concentration towards the end so that you can get a big punch right at the, the finale. Um, and, and, you know, that's at least the intent of how they want those cigars rolled. Uh, what takes place at each rolling station is a, a bit different, and, and every cigar is going to be different because it's a handmade product and you have all those variables taking place. So when we're talking about punch, um, are we talking about when at least the leaf, from what I know from rolling, the leaf, the concentration of the flavor is towards the tip yeah. of the leaf. So they're going to manipulate that leaf, whether they invert it and put it towards yeah. the foot or whether they flip it and put it towards the, the absolutely uh, all right charlie when you're reviewing for half wheel you're also not only taking down the notes of what the cigar is tasting like and what it's doing as it starts to change but you're also scoring the cigar so give us an idea of what a scoring outline looks like yeah i mean so every person i would imagine is a bit different um i don't recall ever seeing anyone else's score sheet so i don't know what it looks like for other websites and magazines. Um, I can tell you at Half Wheel, uh, we use um, an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, every one that rates a cigar for Half Wheel or the four reviewers all use the same spreadsheet. 
and it's broken up into largely three categories. Um, so you have uh, the actual flavor of the cigar, um, and then you have construction. So we look at things like draw, burn, smoke production. Um, and so by burn, I mean, are we having to touch the cigar up? Are we having to relight it? And then we look at a category that we call balance, um, which is sort of more of an overall, you know, how the cigar is doing. And so our score sheets divided up, um, at least in terms of the flavor and the construction into thirds. Uh, so we're going to evaluate the first third independently in flavor. We're going to evaluate the first third independently in how the cigar draws, how it puts off smoke and how, uh, whether or not we're having to touch it up or relight it. And then we're going to do the same thing with the second third and the final third. We have one, uh, basically category for appearance. It's, would you buy the cigar? Yes or no, based off the appearance. So, you know, is there, you know, is the wrapper applied correctly? It's very rare that we see a cigar get not get the mark for achieving it. And the other thing that we do that's quite a bit different is our score sheet. While our scores are on a hundred point scale, our score sheet, um, I don't actually know the number off the top of my head because it's been so long since we developed it, is not based off of it. It's it's somewhere probably in the the mid sixties, I would imagine, if we were to give a, a the absolute a max amount of points. And we take those scores and we put them into an algorithm that then produces that hundred point score. And the reason why we do that is so that way our reviewers don't aren't sitting there being like, okay, I think this is a 90 point cigar. Or this is a 91 point cigar. So let me just put here. It makes it a bit more challenging. Um, and I think it, it leads, gives our reviewers a bit more freedom into not having to worry about what the overall score is like, because that is something that I think people have a lot of, you know, there's sort of that, uh, inherent want to, or desire to, to, okay, I think this is a 91 point cigar, so we should give it 91 points. Um, and the other thing that's important for people to understand is that, you know, every single publication is different. Um, a 91 at Half Wheel is different than a 91 at Cigar Aficionado. It's different than a 91 at Cigar Journal. It's different than a 91 anywhere else. Um, I would say that, uh, and there's been, um, there's certainly uh, been developing palettes, uh, which is a, another cigar blog, took a couple of publications, including ours, and they ran the scores to average them and see, you know, was there any trends and things? And, and Halfville certainly uh, far and away was the lowest average score. Um, for us, uh, the way that we sort of define our score sheet is, uh, and I can tell you this cigar has gone out thanks to some more issues with the center burning and not keeping in line with the wrapper. Um, but for us, uh, we look at a cigar that gets 86 points, and for us, that's a recommended cigar. Um, if it gets 88 points, we're, we're thinking at that point that that's a, a buy-a-box type of situation, a commitment cigar where you should uh, you know, really be investing in it. Um, and anything below 84 would be a cigar that we would, rec would not recommend uh, buying more than one of, and then obviously it, it goes further down. We also use descriptors, and they're, they're somewhat colorful, to describe what we would uh, how we would evaluate flavor. So rather than just being like, okay, this is going to be a, you know, a, a 20 out of 20 on flavor or whatever it might be, we have descriptors next to those numbers. And so at the bottom, you see things like the word vomit, you know, which would indicate that you really don't like it. And then, you know, at the top of it, it's, you know, uh, one of the best cigars, you know, of the year. Um, and we have all sorts of other things, you know, would you recommend a single, would you recommend a five pack? Would you recommend a box? Would you, you know, uh, recommend smoking the cigar, but you wouldn't recommend buying it. Um, one of my favorite ones is, uh, you would feel bad giving the cigar to a friend. Uh, and so we use those to try to take what is otherwise an extremely subjective process. And at least amongst the four years at half, we'll make it relatively objective. Um, 
And uh, I, I don't know what other people do. I don't know if it's just like, all right, you know, evaluate this on a 10 point scale for flavor. Um, and, you know, I think it's important uh, to, to understand that, you know, we don't give very many scores uh, above, say, 93, 92, sort of a, a somewhat of a common score. But, you know, if you see a 93 or a 94 or anything above that on half wheel, that means a cigar that we really loved. Uh, and inversely, we also are one of the few people that will give a cigar a 70 or anything below that. Uh, there was a big debate. I was on a, a, a podcast uh, with a whole bunch of other cigar bloggers and we were talking and um, we had a, a pretty heated, uh, spirited argument about whether or not, you know, we should be giving cigars, you know, scores below, you know, X. And, and my sort of point is if you have a hundred point scale and you're not willing to use all hundred points, then why do you have a hundred point scale? Um, sure. We've never given a cigar a two. Um, I think the lowest score to date is a 25, but it's certainly possible to get a two. Um, it would sure. mean that the cigar basically didn't burn and, and tasted like crap. Um, but you know, every time we, we light up a cigar for a review, it's possible to get anywhere between, you know, zero and it could get a hundred. Although I don't think we've had any do either. So with, with the ratings that obviously half wheels putting out and other, you know, channels, like you had mentioned, um, the number per se, I guess I'm a little bit more confused by the number and I, I appreciate you explaining it to me, but at the end, um, when I'm going on to half wheel to look at something, I'm almost more or less looking at what you said were the flavors because I particularly like certain flavors in cigars or I like to look at where did the cigar end up and how was it um, either changing or not changing while you smoked it. I care less about the number, but where where is the idea of like, I'm going to really pay attention to the number because that's going to make a difference. And you'd laid out, you know, okay, at a 92 or anything above an 88, we recommend buying a box and definitely investing in the cigar. Um, where does that come into play with, with you at half wheel? Do you, are these bot, um, ratings or are you just really just working on the numbers and making sure that whatever comes out, it's very just unbiased. Yeah, I mean, so the the ratings are not bought. Um, it it would be nice for people to spend a day in the life of Half Wheel and listen to some of the conversations that we get to have with cigar manufacturers um, and the emails that we get, and then all the other things we hear about people complaining about the ratings. I think to some degree, it's like okay, if you're pissing everyone off, then you're doing something right. Uh, it's certainly not our goal. I, I tell people all the time that the last thing in the world I want to do is give a cigar a 70 because that means that I went out and let's say I start on Tuesday with the first cigar. So I go out and smoke the cigar and it leads to something that's going to ultimately do a 70. Then I go out on Wednesday and I smoke the cigar again and it leads to something that's going to lead to a 70. And then I go out on Thursday and I do the same thing. And then I have to spend time writing up my thoughts on a cigar that I didn't care for. And then, you know, inevitably like, you know, there's the option of, or the potential for me then to have to deal with the blowback from manufacturers. We don't change scores. We don't do any of that nonsense, but um, it's certainly not fun to be like, Hey, uh, you really didn't like something I made that I thought was really good. And it's like, yeah, sorry. I don't know what to tell you or the, you know, Oh, you must've just gotten a bad one or whatever. But most importantly, like I'm selfish, like I'd rather smoke a good cigar versus a bad cigar. So if it's getting a 70, like that meant that I had three bad cigars. Um, most likely, I guess I could have two good cigars and one awful one. Uh, but I think the ratings are really a tool for the readers of our website to understand 
you know, how a cigar might compare to something else and how we as the reviewers at Half Wheel view that cigar in comparison to the overall market. I'm not a huge fan of the idea that we should just taste the cigar, put some notes down and whatever happens, happens. And I don't think most consumers want that either. Um, I know from my experience of not cigars, but of purchasing other things, you know, I would much rather see some sort of system where you're going to, whether it's numerically or whether it's stars or whether it's a top, you know, here's a one to 14 of the best refrigerators. I want to be able to see where that falls in comparison to, you know, similar products. And so the number is really a a tool for the readers of the website, as well as I think, you know, it, it certainly helps the uh, for us at Half Wheel, uh, the prominence of the website. I think that people like Cigar Press and Still Your View, while they've made an admirable choice to not give numerical ratings, I, I don't think that from a brand perspective, having a media publication, that it's necessarily the best idea because it's really hard to be like, well, you know, Cigar Press really loved our, our cigar. Um, here's the turn to page 14 and read the tasting note like that that's not a effective marketing tool whereas you know if you get a 92 from half wheel you're probably going on social media and promoting that review and and that certainly helps us that's not the main reason as to why we have numbers but uh it, it certainly is is a, a tool for us and and worth more positives than the negatives sure i get what you mean though because yeah especially if you're reviewing something or as a consumer looking at something you want to see where at least in that category, if you were talking about refrigerators, where does it fall in that category of refrigerators? Is it the 10th out of 14 or am I actually buying the 13th or the 14th one? Yeah. So I get that. That's actually more helpful than I thought. So the numbers do matter. No, and I think for consumers, and this is not just like me trying to, to, you know, say half wheel is the end all be all because it's not. I mean, ultimately we tell people that the best reviewer is, is you. Um, you smoke a cigar, you like it, you hate it, whatever it might be like, like we might have our own opinions, but your opinion is the one that matters. Cause we're not going to go out and buy you, you know, the cigar, you're the right. one that's having to make that commitment. Um, but certainly uh, on the flip side, I would prefer that we would see more of our competitors also publish scores that aren't as flattering because, to me, when I go out and I'm looking for a refrigerator, I want to go and see a publication that's willing to say, okay, this refrigerator has problems. Because if you're not willing to say that, and all I see is, okay, these are just five great refrigerators without any sort of negatives, that's not helpful. And it's certainly, I trust publications in other genres more that give negative ratings um, because that means that I can believe that they also are willing to be critical when it's called for. Uh, I have a different perspective. I know most of the other people that work in cigar media, and, and I certainly don't think that that many of them are, you know, simply just making things up or, or unwilling to tell the truth or any of those things. But I would think, from a consumer perspective, that you would feel a lot more confident blindly going into buying whether it's a cigar or a car and anything in between there, trusting a publication that's willing to to point out the flaws and willing to publish the issues that they have. Uh, I know Cigar Aficionado for the magazine, they claim that they only put the top rated, you know, Coronas. Uh, so they might smoke, at least as, as far as I've been explaining the process, you know, they might smoke 20 Coronas and only the top seven or whatever fits on the page get published. But it would also be helpful to see, you know, the other ones and they have the database that I don't know how many people use. Um, and so there is at least some attempt at transparency there, although it's not very, I mean, it's, it's public, but it's not 
very promoted, I guess. Gotcha. What would you say to the consumers out there that might think that your ratings are paid for and not um, objective and more subjective because your relationship with that manufacturer in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a certainly something that a lot of people uh, have questions about. Uh, we certainly take advertising from cigar companies. Uh, if you looked at my inbox over the course of uh, the years or got to listen to some of our phone calls, uh, you would know that uh, there's a lot of people that uh, have issues with how we rate their products. I understand it. Um, I certainly don't want to wake up and, and listen to someone complain about how terrible half wheel looks or our pictures or whatever. Uh, but it's an objective process that we take very seriously. And I think the reason why we've been as successful as we have is because people understand at the end of the day that we're going to say whatever we believe. And we've been fortunate that we haven't had to have any sort of financial aspects, uh, you know, influence that. Uh, for us, it's very important. Once we schedule a review, it, it does not, there's no change in course. That review is going to happen regardless um, and so, uh, we've had to take down, I think maybe two reviews because we had to take down earlier this year. We reviewed what we thought was the little Ford Minicana factory press. As it turns out, it was some sort of cigar they released, uh, for FDA purposes that we accidentally bought the wrong thing. And, and we ultimately opted to take that down, but we put an editor's note up, but certainly there's never been a case where someone's called and said, Hey, please take down that 70 point rating. Um, uh, that, that conversation ends pretty quickly. Sure. In the rating system that you guys use, how much of it is subjective and how much of it is quote unquote objective? Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, there's at least one category that's very objective. It's the one that I'm doing right now. So the did you have to relight the cigar in the first third is pretty objective. Uh, you either did or you didn't. Everything else from there is, is subjective. Um, you know, even something like smoke production, there's not some sort of device we stick it in. And it's like, oh, you're putting off that much smoke per, per second. Um, and the flavor certainly is, is subjective. We try to take an otherwise very subjective process and make it objective across our four reviewers using a unified score sheet and using descriptors um, and things like that. But at the end of the day, it, it's pretty objective. I will say that we... Our score sheet is designed in a way where we can have cigars score higher or lower than we might necessarily think upon them based off of how they perform. Because we aren't simply saying like, okay, we want you to evaluate like, is this the most complex cigar you've ever had? There's no points for that. Or, you know, is this your favorite cigar of all time? No points for that. It's about how it performs, you know, so is it balanced? Is it delivering flavor? Is it, you know, constructed well? And that means that we have times where, you know, particularly like flavored cigars have scored, you know, better than than non-flavored cigars. Uh, I don't smoke flavored cigars um, other than when we have to review them. Um, and so there are cigars that maybe have, you know, an 86 or an 87 point rating on a, for a flavored cigar that, uh, you know, score four or five points better than a non-flavored cigar that I would gladly buy, personally speaking, over the non-flavored cigar. But it's it's about performance. Okay. And then you also mentioned that you said, you know, if you're rating a cigar, do you review it three times? Like you yeah. said, like one, two, and three on separate days, right? Yep. With very little exception. I mean, unless we can't get three of those cigars, but um, almost all of the cigars that go up on half wheel with the exception of the reduxes on Monday where we're going back and re-reviewing a cigar we've already reviewed, the, the core reviews are three cigars um, to be smoked. And the reason why we do that is because 
there's a lot of other people that particularly the magazines that like to do panel ratings. And I, there's certainly some advantage of having, you know, multiple people smoke the same cigar. But we made the decision from both a logistic and, and editorial perspective of having someone review multiple cigars, the same person. And so the advantage that I think we have with our reviews over a lot of other people is we can tell you when a cigar is not consistent. And so this cigar, the Taiwai Tattoo, or the H-Town Lancero, sorry, was a classic case of where I thought two of the cigars, if I recall correctly, were fantastic. It might have been the other way around. And one of them was particularly problematic. Um, and so if we were just reviewing one cigar, we wouldn't have that ability to say, you know, two of them were great. One of them wasn't, right. uh, you know, could, we could have gotten one of the two great ones or we could have gotten the one that wasn't. And certainly three is not, you know, the end all be all, but we feel like, you know, from a trying to publish on a regular basis and, and also taking into consideration the consistency aspect, we feel like three is a pretty good sample size. And I think it's also pretty realistic with a consumer. If you buy three cigars um, and you smoke them, you'll develop a pretty strong opinion on them one way or another uh, that is unlikely to really be changed. Right. Uh, whereas if you buy one cigar and it's bad or it's great, you might go back and, and buy it again and have a different experience. Yeah. So I always recommend at least to, to new smokers to try a cigar more than once, yeah. at least twice. Um, and to go back on the rating system. So other companies are using a panel. So they might just only give that person one cigar, rate it, and then they take an average of what everyone said. Yeah. I'm I certainly am not going to say that I know of every single panel, but I, from what I understand of, of the, the larger publications that use panels, yes, they're smoking one cigar per person and then moving on to, to whatever the next cigar is. So that's is. an interesting difference because I, I would prefer the panel like you where it's like, okay, you've smoked at least three of these. Now you can actually take a consistent average. Yeah. I mean, ideally, I think a hybrid between of them, you know, where you have multiple people smoking multiple of the same cigar would be the ideal standpoint. But from a, you know, production aspect of trying to publish reviews on a regular basis, that would be right. very problematic. I mean, if yeah. we were to do something like that at half wheel, we would have to cut our reviews in half or in third. Right. Um, so you're trying to get through a lot of reviews a year. Yeah. And, and we're trying to, to review most... more or less a cigar a day. I think yeah. we, we average, you know, right around 300 cigars at the end of the year. Um, wow. have been reviewed, uh, 300, sorry, cigars of reviews have been published. So in the wow. grand scheme of things, you're looking at probably something like 800 to 850 cigars have been smoked, uh, over the wow. course of the year to be evaluated and reviewed. And they're all evaluated on that same score sheet. And they go through the, the same process with the exception of the redux reviews and those rare moments where we don't have more than one or more than at least three samples, I guess. Gotcha. So with that many reviews needing to happen, do you ever find yourself going, what am I going to smoke next? Or is it always coming in? No, no, no. I mean, it's, uh, it's something where we try to have the cigars at our office, uh, for around a month in, in humidors. I mean, you guys certainly know working in humidification that there is a process of putting a cigar in a humidor and getting acclimated and those sorts of things. We're obviously reviewing a lot of cigars that are coming out. And so a cigar that gets dropped off by UPS that day versus waiting a week is going to be a bit different. Um, so we're trying to create a buffer so that we're not having to deal with, oh, well, the reason why that cigar was bad was because it just got shipped to you. Um, right. And as such, uh, if I pull up our schedule right now, um, you know, we have reviews scheduled probably for the next two weeks. Um, we try to operate with at least uh, two weeks of schedule review buffers. And then there's also cigars uh 
better. If you look on our project management software, you'll see that there are cigars that have been assigned to me that we already have in our possession that just haven't been scheduled yet. And so every Monday I go through, I schedule another week's worth of reviews. And that way our reviewers always know what's coming next. And, and we, you know, always have, um, you know, more cigars, but it is the process where, you know, every week we're buying cigars and, and you just sort of put them at the back of the pile and, you know, worry about what's at top. Sure. So that was a good point for me to jump in. Obviously, as Bovida, um, I've noticed the difference between cigars that come at a lower relative humidity level and then get acclimated to a higher relative humidity level and how they've changed. Do you try to hit a specific relative humidity level and that's what you want to smoke it at? Or are you not watching that? No, I mean, so we're using... um we certainly use your product in um, our desktop humidors where, uh, so the process for me at least uh, goes, we'll buy a cigar, it'll come into the office, it'll get photographed, and then it will um, go into, we sort of have our main review humidor that you guys saw. Um, and I guess if you're watching, you there's a video on it, you can go see it. Um, and from there, uh, the cigars, uh, why they get shipped out, for me, they, they don't have to, uh, they just go home with me. I have a specific humidor uh, at home that's a, a desktop humidor that only contains cigars that are being reviewed. Um, and so those uh, are using the 69% packs uh, with little exception. Um, sometimes we'll know a cigar needs to be in a slightly higher humidity level or slightly lower. Uh, obviously with Cuban cigars, the general belief is they perform a little bit better, closer to 65, if not even below that. Um, and then there's certain cigars, uh, the thicker, heavier, particularly the oiler broadleaf cigars, generally find that those do well a little bit higher. So I also have a collection of humidors, but there's other humidors. And so sometimes um, uh, we'll throw a cigar in a 72% humidor if we feel like that's necessary. And then you'll also see our reviews where if we're having uh, burn issues in particular, uh, where we, you might see a mention that we dry boxed one of the samples later on to see if that helps. So we take the cigar out of a humidor, we put it you know, into, we don't actually, I, I don't at least have a box. I just put it into an open bag um, where the, the relative humidity in the air is a little bit lower. Um, and so we try to dry the cigar out um, to see if that helps with some burn issues because maybe the cigar was shipped a little bit wet and, and it just didn't have time to release all that moisture. But no, it's not like we're probing the cigars. I don't, you guys would know what the device is better than I, but I know there are devices you can stick in and get a, a more absolute value of right. what the humidity is in the cigar versus the environment around it. Yep. How about for consumers? Do you think it's wise for them to go with blind tastings to help hone their palate or make it better or make them less objective or less subjective? I think any exercise that you can do as a consumer will help you. Um, I think that certainly doing a blind tasting um, is, is something that will be helpful. Um, but uh you know, I, I don't know if it makes that much of a difference, but anytime that you can go through the ability, whether it's a blind tasting or whether it's a, you know, sort of a deconstructed seminar where you smoke just, uh, you know, this filler and this filler and this filler, and then you, you put them all together and you smoke the complete cigar. I think that's certainly a helpful activity. I think visiting a factory and, and seeing the raw tobaccos burning um, and, you know, seeing what happens in the blending process, that's certainly going to help you. Sure. Uh, all those things are, are all helpful educational tools that that make you a, a more knowledgeable uh, uh consumer yeah i did i had an opportunity to do a deconstructing um tasting where we took the lx2 from cao and tasted all the different types of lajero that they put in there and that was very eye-opening 
to see where that flavor was coming from the spice from certain lajero then the sweetness and then the kind of the more medium you know palatable stuff yeah i mean it certainly gives you a new perspective on not only the end product but also the process about how you go about making a cigar um because at least as far as i know most people don't just sit down and are like i'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we'll roll it all together and then that's that's our new brand for the year right um it, it's 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 a lot more complex uh, to go about doing that and uh, to really get it right. Um, like some of these, uh, some of the blenders and, and the brand owners uh, can, uh, that they do, um, you have a, a newfound respect, you know, given all of the sort of variables that go into it. All right, Charlie, we are ending this cigar here. We're getting close to the end here. How are we going to wrap this cigar up? Uh, I'm going to go have lunch. Perfect. But the overall experience is really what I was going to say. You know, what what would we conclude on this? Um, I would conclude this is the first time I've smoked a cigar in a room with three other men and three cameras. Um, <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, certainly Just hit a wall, ladies and gentlemen. He is no longer engaged. Um, certainly uh, a bit more burn issues than uh, I think any of us would have liked. Um, you know, the flavor, I think at the second, third really is probably when it, it peaked in terms of how I liked it. Um, the retro hill had a lot of sweetness, a lot of floral flavors to it. There were some butterscotch notes. Um, and then the mouth was completely different. It was earthy, peppery. Um, it's finishing sort of more towards that end. Uh, the black pepper, it's different than what it was initially. It's, it's more of now, um, if you almost filled your mouth up with, uh, like black pepper, uh, the raw, you know, before it gets uh, ground. Um, and so it's a, it's a bit muted, but it's a very defined black pepper. It's not that sharp uh, sort of attacking pepper flavor that you a lot of times feel. Uh, but no, I mean, it's a good cigar. Uh, it's certainly not um, the best of the Taiwan H towns. I smoked quite a few of these, particularly when they came out, but uh, it's still a good cigar. And uh, certainly something if you're ever at Stogie's, I, I definitely would recommend, you know, picking up a few and, and smoking them since this is the only place they're available. Yeah. So when you said uh, black pepper ungrounded as if you were to fill your mouth up, it makes me believe that you've done that before. I have tasted like some some raw black pepper kernels. I don't know what the right way, but the little small balls. This yeah. is going to sound awkward. Um, it's okay. Yeah, but no, um, it, it's a bit different than when the, the pepper gets ground and, and broken up. It, it sort of explodes in terms of its its flavor. And uh, there's a big debate about whether pepper is actually a flavor. The sure. some scientists think that it's just a burning sensation. But I think people can... If you've, if you've had the experience and you know, I mean, there's a difference between black pepper, white pepper, yep. cayenne, those sorts of things. Um, they all deliver different sorts of sensations, although they're all, you know, that sort of sharp burningness. Sure. So when you kind of said that it was unground black pepper, you were meaning that it was muted. Yeah. Um, so I would say uh, that it wasn't like when you have pepper, like if you were to take a ground, if you know, we were to take a, a pepper mill and, and grind yeah. it in your mouth, I mean, that would be a burning sensation. Yeah. This was sort of a, some, you could get the hints of the burning, but more of, you know, almost if you took your nose and you put it in a bag full of pepper kernels, that sort of flavor is what it reminds me of. So obviously, I mean, we're not 
technically scoring this or anything like that. No. We're just kind of walking through this. But you would, in your case, if you were scoring it, you'd have to compile some numbers, put everything together, and then send that off. And then back at the half-wheel headquarters, you guys kind of put it all back into the algorithm and spits out a score. Yeah, I mean, well, I'd have to smoke two more cigars. But yeah, I'd finish the score sheet out um, for this particular sample, and then uh, I'd come back tomorrow and smoke another one, and then the day after that, smoke the third one. And then um, once all those numbers are done, I'd I'd you know take all the notes. I'd put together you know the the tasting notes, the review, and then finish the the history. And the good news is, is I did all of that like three years ago with this particular cigar. So Great. won't be doing that again. Perfect. Well, again, thank you for checking out another episode of Box Press, Charlie. Thank you very much for spending at least two hours here with us. I think it was more than two hours. All right. I think we're we're getting close to three and a half. <laughs> Well, you said you can smoke slow, so we I, I can that smoke today. slow. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. And again, you can check out more Box Press episodes at our podcast platform. We are on all podcast platforms as well as social media, Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.